You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. See you. Merry Christmas and a happy new year to you. Um, Isaiah chapter 9. I want to read verse 6 again for us. And then I want to pray. And then I want to share the good news of Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Let's look at it again. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Look at this name. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for every man, woman, and child who is with us today. I do pray that as we have sung these songs and now as we dive into what is most likely a very familiar story for a lot of people in this room and listening through podcasts, God, that it will not just be true news, that it will be good news. That we'll see it as the best news that truly that we could ever receive. And I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you will work through the preaching of this word, that you will use this time that we have to conform us more in the image of your son, Jesus, to set our eyes on who he really is and what he has come to accomplish. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, back in 2007, I was attending the Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, where I also worked as a lifeguard at our school's Olympic-sized pool. And one of the things I loved about working at the pool was not only that it awarded me the opportunity to meet students from all over the world who had come to Southern to study theology and to learn ministry like myself, but it also gave me the chance to rub shoulders with some of the best and brightest theology professors in the entire world. And so, for example, there were times where I would be able to shoot the breeze with Dr. Pennington, who is considered the expert on the Gospel of Matthew. And so he'd be sitting there in the jacuzzi hanging out, and we'd be talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Um, or, you know, I'd get to, you know, maybe hand a towel to Dr. Moore, who was at the time the president of the School of Our Theology and now serves as the president of Christian Ethics in America. And I could go on and on, but I will never forget my first day on the job. I was watching over the lives of these men and women who would go on to change the world. So obviously a very important job. And while I was sitting there doing my thing, this very ordinary man came up to me. And he said, hey, is this your first day here? And I said, "Uh, actually, it is. I'm from Arkansas. My name's Jared. I'm I'm working here as a lifeguard. And I said, what's your name? And he said, oh, my name is Tom. And and I don't know why, but I said, Tom, are are you a student here? And he says, no, I I actually work for the school. And and for whatever reason, I didn't ask him what he did for the school. I just assumed uh, because he was so ordinary looking, maybe he was in administration or worked at the library or something like that, which no offense if you are in administration or library, he just, you know, he just... Seemed like a very ordinary, you know, kind of everyday kind of guy. And so he introduced himself to me. I introduced myself to him. And then he walked away. And as soon as he walked away, my boss, whose name was Lee Sexton, came up to me. And he said, you idiot. Do you have any idea who you were just talking to? And I said, yeah, it was Tom. And uh, he said, yeah, Dr. Tom Schreiner. 
which I know does not mean anything to most of you in here, but Dr. Tom Schreiner is the greatest New Testament theologian in the world. I mean, literally the guy goes to the bathroom and he comes out with a new commentary all the time or a book that is influential, not only to pastors, uh, but it's influential all throughout the academic and theological world. I mean, this is a man whose students would fight over in order to try to get into his class, just to sit under his teaching. But in this moment, I didn't recognize him. Right, because of the ordinariness or whatever it was, it just in the moment, though he was standing right in front of me, I did not take advantage of the amazing opportunity. And as I thought about that experience this past week, I thought about how easy it is for us to do the same thing when it comes to Jesus Christ. How easy it is in the holiday season to get caught up in the celebration of Christmas, but to miss out on the person of Christmas. To get caught up in all the sentimentalism of singing our favorite songs and decorating our house and baking stuff and and cooking and all that. To get caught up in, in what Christmas stands for, which is hope and joy and peace. And yet fail to recognize the very one who is standing in front of us today who makes all of that possible. And because God knows this is a temptation for each of us today, he gives us Isaiah chapter 9. And just to set the context for you, the original audience that Isaiah is speaking to is a desperate people who is walking in darkness, a people who are in anguish, a people who are gloomy, a people who are suffering because of their disobedience and because of the disobedience of others. And the reason this context matters for you and me today is because this tells us who Christmas is really for. You know, if you go to people in Paragol today and you were to ask them, who is Christmas for? A lot of people would say, oh, well, Christmas is for kids. It's for the children. It's for, they know it's what the presents are for and the lights are for and the cookies are for. Or for others, if you say, hey, who is Christmas for? They would say, oh, well, well obviously it's for Christians. It's for people who have already placed their faith in Christ. Christmas is just for those who are religious. And though that sounds good, when you consider the context of this passage, when you consider who Isaiah is talking to, what we see is Christmas is not just for the kids, and it's not just for Christians, but actually Christmas is for the broken. It's for the burnt out. It's for those who even are considered to feel hopelessly lost. I think of a quote from Sam Albury I read this past week who said the following, God didn't come to the world to congratulate the successful and high-five those who have all of their lives together. He came for those walking in darkness, not, oh, come all you faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Otherwise, none of us could be there. No, Christmas is for the faithless, the joyless, and the defeated. This is the people Isaiah is writing to, he's talking to in this passage, and to instill in them an unshakable hope and joy and peace, and to instill into our own lives this hope, joy, and peace, what he does is he makes a birth announcement. And in this birth announcement, Isaiah gives us four titles or four names for the person of Christmas, Jesus Christ, so that we can today recognize him and receive him as he really is. And as a result, experience the life that we are longing for. Does that make sense? And so what I want to do just in the next few moments is I want you to look back with me in verse six and let's look at these titles for Jesus. And the first thing that Isaiah says in here is if you want to know who the real Jesus is, you need to know, verse 6, that he is a wonderful counselor. Or as your translation might say, he is an amazing counselor. 
You know, as we come to the end of 2018, maybe you have questions about your life. You wonder questions like, why am I here? What is my purpose? Where should I be going? What should I be doing? Should I take that job? Should I date this person? You have questions about relationships. You have questions about your career, about your kids, about your hangups and your habits. And as a result, there are many of you here today who would love to have someone to talk to, someone who can make sense of your life, who can point you in the right direction. And ultimately, what you are looking for is a counselor. And what I love about the Christmas story is it tells us right here in verse 6 that we now have a counselor. We have a wonderful counselor in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who is all-knowing. He is the one who has all wisdom. He is the one who knows you better than you know yourself. And therefore, he can point you today in the right path. And what's great about the Christmas story is not only does Jesus know the path you should take, But he himself has walked that path before you. He has actually walked in your shoes. He has been tempted in every way that you have been tempted. He has experienced suffering and hardship. And because rather than sitting back and waiting for us to work our way to him, Christ came to earth. He worked his way to us. What that means is right now, where you are, no matter what you are going through, Jesus can say to you with complete honesty that I completely understand. That means if you were here this morning and you have lost a loved one, And you say, nobody in here knows what I'm going through this holiday season. Jesus says, I know. If you were here and you have been despised and rejected, you have been overlooked and humiliated, Jesus says, I get it. I get it. If you have been abused or you have been abandoned, if you have experienced hardship and heartache of some kind, if you sit here right now and you face an incredible temptation, maybe nobody else even knows about it, Jesus says, I can relate to you. So important that we get this because oftentimes I think when we look at nativity scenes and we see that neon baby Jesus with curly blonde locks of hair and we look at the Americanized version of our story, we forget that whenever Jesus came into our world, he stepped into poverty and darkness. He stepped into suffering and chaos. He came into the mundane, blue collar, ordinariness of life. Jesus experienced disease and difficulty, dysfunctional people. He he experienced disappointment and even death itself. And because he came through all of that, because on the other side of the death, there is a resurrection today, you can go to Jesus as the wonderful counselor. You know, the biggest problem with humanity today is that we tend to listen to bad counsel. We listen to people who tell us that we should turn away from God. People who tell us that we should trust in ourselves. People who tell us we should pursue instant gratification at all costs. People that tell us that you should just do you. Or that you should hit the eject button as soon as life gets hard. Or if you want to be happy, you need to go buy more stuff or work more hours or climb the corporate ladder. That you need to numb your pain with pills and pornography or whatever else you can get your hands on. And as a result, you know this today that you walk into the room and you are anxious and you are depressed and you are frustrated and you are exhausted. And if that is true of you, my hope and my prayer is that you will turn to Jesus today. The wonderful counselor who not only knows the path you should take, but has taken the path before you. That's the first thing Isaiah says you have to recognize about the real Jesus. But then secondly, Isaiah tells us that not only is Jesus a wonderful counselor who understands, but he is also a mighty God who empowers. Despite popular belief, Jesus is far more than just a good man. 
He is far more than just a good teacher or a good example. But according to the scriptures and according to Isaiah 9, 6, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is divine. He is the one whom has created the world and now holds the whole world together. And this is why when we look at the manger, we don't simply see a scene of inspiration, but of adoration. It's why we see the angels bursting forth and seeing glory to God in the highest. It's why the wise man would eventually travel miles upon miles to come and lay gifts at Jesus' feet. And it says in Matthew 2, they worshipped him. Why? Because though Jesus is fully man, he is also fully God. And the reason this is such a beautiful truth and a life-changing truth is what this means is not only as a wonderful counselor does Jesus have a perfect plan, but as a mighty God, he also has an unstoppable power. You know, I've talked with a lot of people who had really great plans for 2018. I mean, New Year's resolutions, plans to better themselves. And if you're anything like me, some of those plans you fulfilled and some of them you didn't. You know, one of my plans for those at 18 was to be able to bench press 200 pounds by the end of the year, which may not seem like a lot to you, but when you're a buck 70, it feels like a lot. And I did pretty good all the way up until July, but then I got distracted, I got sick, I just, I wasn't motivated, I didn't go to the gym, and, and therefore, I will not fulfill my plan for 2018. And maybe some of you, you can relate with me in that. And the good news is about Jesus is he is not like us. He is not only a wonderful counselor, but he is a mighty God, and therefore he always fulfills his plans. He always keeps his promises. I think back to that line in verse 6, if you look with me, where it says, the weight of the government shall be on his shoulders. Isn't that great news, especially in light of like a government shutdown right now? The weight of the government will be on his shoulders. This has been such a breath of fresh air to me this week, because what Isaiah is saying here is, listen, the weight of running the world is not on my shoulders. And it's not on your shoulders, but it's on Jesus' shoulders. We need to hear that because sometimes, especially around elections and midterms and all that, we freak out because we have come to believe that there is a certain man or a certain woman within the political realm that is going to make our lives great and is going to be able to give us what we truly long for. And the truth is, no matter what news station you listen to, I don't care if it's CNN or Fox News, listen to me, there is no person outside of Jesus Christ who will ever give us what we long for and need the most. And if you're here and you're like, I don't even care about politics, bro. Like, I don't care. Okay, well, maybe for you, you do not put the weight of your existence on a politician, but you put it on your spouse, your co-dependent. You believe that you have to have them in your life or you won't make it. Or for some of you, right, you put the weight of your existence on your kids. You live vicariously through them. They have to be better than you were or your life is just a failure. For others, you put the weight of your existence on pastors or spiritual leaders. And though you would never say it, you expect us or others to be basically perfect. To have our lives all together or less like you use us as an excuse to punt the faith and walk away. I don't know who it is for you, but some of you today, though you would never say this out loud, you are looking to other people to be for you what only Jesus can be for you. You are looking to your spouse and kids or whoever else it is, and you're saying, I need for you to be my savior. I need for you to be my rescuer. And when you do this, you not only crush others with your expectations, but you will crush yourself because nobody can live up to that bill. And therefore, what will happen is you will experience an immense amount of disappointment which leads to bitterness and anger and all sorts of resentment that absolutely eats at your joy like 
a cancer. For others of you in here, maybe you don't put the weight of your existence on others, but you put the weight of your own existence on your own shoulders. Just this morning, I was battling with some anxiety, thinking to myself, okay, everybody's heard the Christmas message before, so I really have to try to come up with some sort of cute way or make it new this year so that lives can be transformed. I was putting your, right, the weight of my performance on me rather than on Jesus himself. And I think if you're anything like me, like this is especially a temptation during the holiday season when we all have to be at our Instagrammable best, right? We have to have impressive looking homes, delicious looking food, and precious looking children. While behind the scenes, right, we're carrying the weight of strained relationships, bereavement, financial difficulties, and uncertainties, which actually leave us feeling more overwhelmed and anxious and depressed than any other time in our lives. And if that is where you are this morning, the good news of Christmas is Jesus came to carry the weight of your existence. I think of that line in Matthew 11 where Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you feel heavy this morning? If so... You are carrying something Jesus has told you to stop carrying. Jesus has come so you can have rest. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. Thirdly, Isaiah says in verse 6, He is an everlasting Father. When Jesus came to the world, He came to rule the world. But He did not come to rule as an evil tyrant. He came to rule as a loving Father. As a father who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He came to be to us the father that we all long to have. He came to this earth so that through his life, death, and resurrection, we can go from being alienated and alone to being dearly beloved children of God for all eternity. And I don't know about you, but, but I need to be reminded of that every single day. Because even this past week, as I was confronted with my own sinfulness, there was this thought that I had that maybe somehow, in some way, I have exhausted the compassion and patience of God on my life. You ever feel that way? If so, listen to the words of Isaiah. Jesus is an everlasting Father. That means, please hear me today, His compassion for you will never end. He will care for you and love you and keep your best interests in mind forever. And if you're here this morning, you're wondering, well, how can I be assured of this? How can I have assurance that he's not going to stop loving me? Because not only is he the wonderful counselor, not only is he a mighty God, not only is he the everlasting father, but verse 6 says he is also the prince of peace. One thing we all have in common in this room today is we are all sinners. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And according to the scriptures, listen to me, our sin separates us from God. And for some of you, you're still in that place today. That's why you're still living in guilt, still living in shame, still living in fear. There is no peace in your life because you have no assurance that your sins have been forgiven and that you actually have a relationship with God. And maybe what you believe today is that, man, you can never really be forgiven until you do more stuff. Maybe you begin to believe the lie that you have to clean up your act first or straighten your own self out before you can experience the true and lasting peace that Christ came to bring. And the good news of Christmas is that the salvation and the satisfaction and the forgiveness and the fulfillment that you long for today is not found ultimately in your performance, 
but it's found in God's own passion. That is what Isaiah says in verse 7, which Derek read earlier, where he says, the zeal of the Lord will do this. In other words, God is the one who makes salvation possible for you today. It's accomplished by his work, not your work. He is the one who has unleashed his mighty power and authority and resources as a guarantee that all he has promised in the birth of Jesus can be delivered to you today, listen to me, as a free, undeserved gift. Question this morning is, as we end, I'm standing in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. Have you received this gift? Have you recognized Jesus and received him as he really is? If not, I want to encourage you to do that right now. Because Jesus is a wonderful counselor, go and talk to him now. You can talk to him. Because Jesus is a mighty God, you can step down from your throne and try to run your own life. You can give up control because you can trust that he is in control and that he has your best interest in mind. Because he's an everlasting father today, you can rest in his love. And because he is the Prince of Peace, you can confess your sins to him. And listen to me, guys, no matter who you are or what you've done or have not done, you can trust that he is quick to forgive you of every single one of your transgressions. To end this morning, I just want to read from Joshua chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, but it's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. And just to set the context for you, Joshua is about to lead the people of Israel into the land God has promised them, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, a land where they can prosper, where they can experience joy and peace and all of these things. But the problem is there's an army standing between them and the promised land, an army that, humanly speaking, is impossible for them to defeat. And while Joshua was scoping out the territory, it says in Joshua 5, verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So get a picture of that in your mind. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Are you for us or are you against us? And he said, No. Like, wrong question, Joshua. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. In other words, I am the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he worshipped him and said to him, What does the Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. We often wonder, is Jesus really on my side? Or is he on the other side? Some of you this morning, you wonder, Jesus, are you for me or are you against me? And today Jesus says that's the wrong question. The question this morning is not, is Jesus for or against you? The question is, are you for or against Jesus? And if you are for Jesus, here's what this means. Like Joshua, you will surrender your life to him today. You will lay your life at his feet. There is a myth in the religious South that goes like this. You ready? Here's the myth. You can have Jesus as your Savior and not have Jesus as your Lord. You can have Jesus in the next life and not give Jesus this life. Not only is that unbiblical, it is damning. 
And today, what God calls you to do is to realize that He has paid the ultimate price to give you the gift that we all long for by laying down His life for you. He has proven to you that He is for you. The question is, are you for Him? And if so, I want to encourage you today, lay down your life. Come to Him as you are. You're not going to be perfect. You'll never be perfect. That's why we trust in the perfect righteousness of Christ on our behalf. You come as you are, all your questions, all your doubts, all your fears, and you say, I'm laying it all right here at your feet. I'm going to trust you, Jesus, over myself. If you have never done that, I'll be standing here at the front. Adam will be here as well. We would encourage you to come. If you need to have questions about that, come and talk to us. Guys, today is the day of salvation. I'm not trying to build up emotion here, but none of us are promised tomorrow. You've just heard the gospel. It's your turn to respond to it. You will be held accountable to it. If you are here today and you have trusted Jesus, if you have laid your life down at him as a way of continuing to do that, every week we partake of communion. We tear off a piece of bread, we dip it in the juice, and it's a way of remembering this, that Jesus Christ is that warrior with the sword. And what's amazing is he's so merciful and he's so gracious, rather than taking that sword and turning it against us for, his, for our sin, he turned it against himself at the cross. He came and he laid on the sword. He died the death we deserve to die so that we can now live the, le- the life that we long to live in him. And if you've trusted in that, even if you're not a member of this church, Feel free to partake. We have two stations in the front, two in the back, a gluten-free option for you uh, to my back left if you want to partake of that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. As the band comes forward again, I'm going to pray. We'll sing a couple more songs, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray together. Father, in a room this size, I cannot... Help but imagine there are people today who have believed the lie that because they prayed a prayer when they were six or whenever it was, that they are good to go, no matter how they live or how apathetic they may be or how they choose to spend their time, their talents. Father, there are people here today who are putting the weight of their existence on an idol, on something that is good but not ultimate. They have made a gift from you, their God. And it's killing them. And Father, I pray that right now you would open their eyes to see that Jesus, you are the gift. You are the gift that we all long for and we all need the most. I pray that you would grant faith and repentance to each person here. That we would fully surrender every part of our lives, not just one section of it, but we'd surrender everything we have to you and that Jesus As we partake of communion, we would remember in a tangible way all over again the love that you had for us, that you did not sit back and wait for us to fix ourselves, but you came and you fixed our deepest need that we could never meet through your life, death, and resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.